one day I decided to ask myself, could I break five minutes in the mile? At age 30, could I return to the sport of track and go after my unmet goal of breaking five minutes? Was my body capable of this? Was my mind capable of this? And most importantly, was my spirit capable of pushing through the ups and downs to find the answer? You are listening to Breaking Five, a running podcast, where we search for this answer as well as yours for achieving your Breaking Five moment, whatever that may be for you. We will gain inspiration and knowledge from others who have achieved their Breaking Five moment those working towards theirs, as well as those who have helped the athletes along the way. I'm your host, Kristen Schultz, physical therapist, runner, and running coach. Let's run full force towards our wildest dreams and take a listen to today's episode. All right. I am so excited for today's episode and for you guys all to hear from the guest I brought on today. Today, I had the great pleasure of getting to speak with Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson, for anyone who does not know of him, is a physical therapist and a running and triathlon coach with Zarin PT. He's the founder of the Runner Zone and he has a ton of resources out there for physical therapists and really anyone in the rehab and performance space. So make sure to tune in for all those resources in this episode. Um, but he is making a huge difference in the rehab and performance space. Like I said, he has a ton of resources, but he's really changing the game and how runners are treated. And I was super excited to get to bring him on and pick his brain. Um, we talk about a variety of things in here, like a good, good amount of stuff. But the most fun part, I think, of the, of the whole episode, so you'll have to wait until this part, is when we get to, t- um, when we, I, get to ask him what he, how he would go about um, training someone to break five. What are the suggestions he has? Um, and he turns the tables on me a little bit and asks me a few questions. So um, it's, it's, it's a fun episode. So you're going to have to tune in for the whole thing. Um, super excited, super um, thankful for having you on today, Chris. And let's dive into this episode. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Five, a running podcast. Super excited today. We have Chris Johnson here today. You've probably heard of Chris Johnson a couple times in a couple of the interviews already because a couple of the guests have mentioned his name, but we got him on the podcast to come and speak himself. Chris, I'm super excited to have you here today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you a little bit more and then I'll let you introduce yourself. But if you don't know Chris, Chris um, is a PT and running coach as well as a triathlon coach with Zarin. Zarin? No, Zarin PT. Sorry, yep. Zarin. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I just like did that. Um, he is the um, founder of the Runner Zone, which is a really awesome Facebook group of a ton of running professionals, not all PTs that have come together that he has put together and as well as the Runner Zone podcast. Um, he puts a ton of content out on Instagram. If you're not following him at um, Zarin PT, um, make sure to be doing that. But Chris, I'm so excited to be able to pick your brain today. Um, it's going to be a good conversation and thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> oh, of course, Kristen. It's, uh, it's fun to be on and it, it's, it's really uh, been fun to watch you put yourself out there and start to, you know, take the entrepreneurial dive and uh, just have, I get the sense that you're just having fun with this and it's also growing into something meaningful, meaningful. So keep up the great work. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's, it's good to see other people that are doing it out there. And it, I think a long journey makes us appreciate anyone out there, you know, ahead of us, like, so much more because you're like, oh, wow, this is what you've had to go through to get where you are, um, which, yeah, you just appreciate so much more. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's been a roller coaster ride. You know, I think everything looks, uh, you know, smooth and um, just basically in order. But, yes, know, as, uh, as I always tell people, I have a messy backstage. Yes, yes, I know. That's why sometimes I like to put out stuff like, hey, this is this might look really awesome, but it's it, no, this is what's going on behind the scenes sometimes. So, <laughs> Just keeping it real. But anyway, so I love to, when I bring someone on, first off, ask them if they don't mind going into their own running. And I know you do um, triathlons too, but what got you into running? I don't think I even know that myself, but where did you start running and or triathlons? Oh, geez. Um, I started running at a very young age to escape my brother who liked to chase me around and roughhouse with me. Um, and it's just something that I always had a passion for running. It was something that, 
you know, I, I thought gave me an advantage when we'd play games like capture the flag and release and soccer, baseball, basketball, you know, I sort of dabbled in everything when I was younger. And um, I think that, again, the thing that gave me an advantage was running and, but I never really focused on distance running. It was always running for sport. Um, and tennis was a main sport that I competed in. Okay. But after I got up to New York City and I went through a bunch of issues with uh, having some, some knee problems during uh, the tail end of my collegiate tennis career, um, as well as throughout a good chunk of grad school. Um, but as I started to really get my ducks in a row and, you know, sort of build strength and capacity and overcome a couple serious knee injuries, um, I found myself in New York City. You know, I was working at the Nicholas Institute of Sports Medicine, which was right by Central Park. And, uh, and I started slowly easing into distance running. And a city like New York is just, it's great for runners just because there's energy, there's distractions. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's still my favorite place in the world to run aside from the coast of Kauai. Um, but yes. Yeah. And then I just slowly, slowly started ramping up my, my volume and my distance. And, um, and that was, I would say, geez, uh, maybe 18 years ago. And I've been running consistently throughout that time. I had one hiatus from a reactive Achilles tendinopathy that okay. sidelined me for two weeks. And then I was back into training. Um, but yeah, I'm just a pig in poop these days with, with running. I don't care if it's, <laughs> and I do most of my running on a treadmill, even if like today it's 70 degrees out, uh, or maybe high sixties, I'll be on my treadmill. You're on your I, treadmill. Just, I just love the monotony and it's sort of, uh, <laughs> it puts me into a self-induced trance and yeah, yeah. but I, I, I was also told that I wouldn't be able to run past the age um, of my early twenties, I would need knee replacements when I was 35, you know, all the nonsense that gets spewed by medical professionals, um, in white coats. And, <laughs> uh, and that's not a knock, knock to docs, but you know, uh, it's just funny when you commit to something and you really try and create the right environment, um, that the body has this remarkable affinity to, to adapt. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So with running, I usually run, four to five times a week. Um, usually every other day, if I'm in full blown training, I start doing more runs off the bike. Um, and that's been a sweet spot. So oh, that's awesome. I, that's crazy that you run the treadmill. I, I hate the treadmill. Like I can't do yeah. more than like 10 minutes on the treadmill. I'm not a treadmill runner. Um, lived up in North Dakota before here in Florida and like, it'd be like negative 25 and I'd be outside. Cause I was like, I hate the treadmill that much that I'm going outside. <laughs> Yeah, I I think part of it right now is with kids, it's just a little bit more predictable. And but I do one relatively challenging run, and that's over to my in laws. But we're not seeing them, so they live roughly ten to twelve miles away, depending on the route that I go. And it's a a relatively hilly route. Um, I live on the south side of Seattle, um, sort of between the airport and downtown Seattle, and then I run to the other side of Seattle through like University of Washington. It's a it's just an awesome uh, training run. So okay. that's what that's the one run that I do uh, outside. And sometimes I'll, I'll sync up with uh, a friend to, to do some training. But, um, you know, I guess it's 80-20 rule, 80% on treadmill, 20% outside. So. <laughs> Everything's the 80-20 rule. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? <laughs> so it was, like you mentioned, you had um, that Achilles injury and some issues with the knee pain and stuff. Is that what really drove you then to want to work with runners? Yeah, I don't, I was doing most of my research when I was at the Nicholas Institute of Sports Medicine on the shoulder. And okay. I think uh, I've gotten pigeonholed, as I mentioned on, on other podcasts, where I'm sort of a running person. And yeah. <laughs> um, but I was doing, you know, if you ask someone in New York, they would say, oh, Chris is a shoulder and spine person. Um, but, you know, I just started seeing a lot of these runners come in in New York City, and I thought I had a good handle on how you treat them. And I was I, I was so naive. Um, and I would always sort of keep my fingers crossed and say, oh, you know, let's go out and try running. And invariably, they would come back and uh, they're like, geez, I, I was hobbling home after that run. I don't know what's going on. And uh, then I started to really, you know, look at myself in the mirror and say, you need to figure this out and stop being a poser. And, um, and, and it's been, uh, and I still, I'm far from having all the answers, but I feel like I have a good handle on the performance demands and having tinkered with all these exercises for literally like 
30 years. I was yeah. doing this stuff even before I got into high school because I was going through PT um, that I really feel like there's this concept of exploration versus exploitation. So I've explored everything under the sun, a lot of which ends up on Instagram. <laughs> but the stuff that I'm exploiting are very specific exercises and there's ways to just nudge someone along. And I think with runners, the big mistake that I made early on in my career was not watching runners run and also not making sure that my, my rehab programs, as I call it, DDP, direct, dynamic, and progressive. You know, and even though running is a relatively low level plyometric, it's a repetitive plyometric activity. Right. Um, and then you, you know, on top of that, runners just make hasty decisions. So there was learning like the performance demands, the exercise progressions, and then how to talk to runners. Right. And that's a big one. Um, and you have to be pretty firm with them at times and, and uh, put things in a relatively calculated way. Yes. No, definitely. And that's, no, I love that. What, it was direct dynamic. And what was the last one? Uh, direct dynamic and progressive. Progressive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing that I love that you teach, and I mean, obviously it's out there and stuff, but um, just, I feel like so much rehab out there for runners isn't, you know, um, it's not progressing them enough. And it's not actually like you always say, like, what is it? Load the, the, t- the tissue with the issue. <laughs> Um, yeah. is that, is that you're saying, right? That yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, there's other, there's other ways of putting that, but I think that these are the things that happen as you move along in your clinical career, you start learning these simple sayings and sound bites and acronyms. And when you present that to a runner, it becomes very sticky. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that it, it just fosters buy-in. Yeah. Where do you think it's gotten lost as far as like, I just, I feel like at least even, um, and I've shared this on my page and stuff before, but with my past injuries and stuff, even from what I've learned or seeing other PTs, it's like, I wasn't like loading the, you know, tissues enough at all. Like it was more passive or, you know, just trying to baby it. Where do you think that came along within, you know, PT? Is that just for runners? Is that an overall PT thing that we're not doing well enough? (laughs) The PT profession. Yes. <laughs> You're like, well, you know, what I, mean? <laughs> I say that jokingly. I mean, I, I think that, look, a lot of the research that's out there has been spearheaded by um, some incredible clinicians and the list is too long. But um, I think that we have this very nurturing, caring uh, aspect to how we approach clinical care. And, and I think that there is a, a paradigm shift that's happened in the past five to 10 years um, that we're starting to say, Hey, some pain is okay. I mean, so long as we're not talking about bone stress injuries, that's a different beast, but yeah. you know, just saying, look, you're going to deal with some discomfort. you you may deal with some pain. So let's get you making sensible decisions around that. And also, um, I think that with Instagram, with some of these social media platforms, we start seeing some of the research that's being put out. Like, you know, Rich Willie had a slide on the Dorn article from 2012, and it just shows you some of the loads that these tissues have to, to be able to withstand. And I think that really helps people conceptualize what we need to be doing uh, from a rehab sense. And I think that a lot of times people are a little bit gun shy um, or just overly conservative to the detriment of the runner seeking their services. But I think that's starting to, to slowly change. Um, yeah. just because we're privy to more information that we're really getting flooded with. Right. Right. Which is, which is good. But yeah. Awesome. Well, wanted to bring you in to talk a little bit on like the coaching side um, today too, and kind of bring to the whole theme of breaking five. Um, and I know we chat about this a bit. Um, what, so I guess I should start, start off with, have you, um, did you, did you do track yourself then growing up or have you always been more of a long distance runner? Uh, no, I should have been, I should have probably been sort of corralled into middle distance when I was younger. Um, but I think, you know, right now I'm, I'm definitely suited for uh, longer stuff. I'm a pretty economical runner. Um, and, and that's why I run well off the bike and, um, do well in triathlon. Yeah. Um, for, for a washed up 42 year old. Um, but no, I, 
I was never where I went to high school. Um, they didn't have, I don't believe they had a cross country program, but I don't believe they had a track program. You had to maybe sync up with the local public high school. Um, but I was, I was playing a lot of soccer and tennis. So my mind wasn't on running in that. Thank God that was the case because I think that it really positioned me for bone health, um, which has allowed me to continue to sort of push the needle, um, you know, as a, as I hate to say it, a master's level athlete, Um, (laughs) but I've never had a bone. Yeah, I do. I I have a, I've never had a bone stress injury. Um, I had something that people would say, oh, maybe you had a a sesamoid bone stress injury, but uh, it was never imaged beyond an x-ray and you could call it turf toe. You could call it a number of things because we didn't get an MR at that point. Um, but yeah, I never, I never ran track. I should have been channeled into a, uh, but you feel like you would have been more of a middle distance runner. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when I was really young, I, I would do well, um, you know, with sprinting, but, um, no, I, I think that I would have been better off young when I was younger as a middle distance runner and then sort of slowly made the, uh, the transition to longer stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, as obviously as you get older and everything, have you ever, have you ever trained anyone specifically for a mile? Uh, I know you get mainly like more triathletes and longer distances. Yeah. I would say I have a 50, 50 split roughly between triathletes and and pure road runners or racers. Um, I, I can't think of anyone I've trained for a mile within the past five years. Um, but I would have some very specific thoughts on, uh, on how, how to, to break it. That. Yeah. So, and I would so be curious to get a lens into your training. Yeah. Well, right now I am, well, right now, I don't even know if you know, but I'm rehabbing a heel injury right now. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I'm on a walk run plan currently. So that's my, my mile, my mile training right now, but I can, I have it from back this fall. Um, but kind of going to what we were talking about earlier, it's been really cool and helpful to see this time I've had I've dealt with heel pain three times in the past and this is the first time because it was all it was my last year of clinicals or before that I had heel pain pain so this is the first time I've actually rehabbed it where I've been loading the the, the tissue the whole way and it's been really cool to see just from a personal perspective on the PT side too like how much that works better and just be my own little like guinea pig and, and just see how it works too. And just, yeah, anyways, so have a lot of thoughts there too, but. Are you dealing with plantar heel pain or is it more like posterior calcaneus? Uh, plantar. Yeah. yeah. But I originally it was like my, my calf was like super tight. So I feel like it was um, coming from there, but, um, but I definitely tried to come back too soon, like the second time. And then that's where it really kind of flared up again. Um, but for the most part with strengthening my calves more and then slowly progressing back, it's been working. It's been slow, but it's been working. So, yeah, we're really not great with plantar heel pain. You know, I I think that there is, uh, there's a few studies are commonly referenced. I would say that, you know, the classic Rathliff, uh, article, I'm talking about high load strength training for plantar fasciopathy, but, um, yeah. And I, I'm telling, I'll tell you what, I see a lot of, um, runners and triathletes now, there, there seems to be an uptick with plantar heel pain. And it makes me wonder if it's a function of, you know, just the fact that people's day-to-day routines have changed, you know, maybe someone is just not getting up and moving around to the extent that they otherwise would. And then they're basically going from having their feet relatively unloaded to trying to plug into training. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I've definitely seen a, an uptick in, in plantar heel pain um, in Seattle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I've taken as much as seven months off before from this is way back in 2013, I think, um, Mm -hmm. from an issue, but that was a, a, a a time where I was just like, okay, I just kind of threw in the towel for a bit. I'm like, I'm going to go do other stuff kind of more on the mental side of things too. So, but anyways, so as far as, um, breaking five, let's, so I feel like there's, there's a science and an art to breaking five, right? So I haven't done it. Obviously that's my, my goal. Um, but what would you say, like more from like, I guess, um, the science perspective, the training specifically, what would it take for someone specifically, I guess, a female, anyone to, to break five? 
what do you feel like it would take? <laughs> well, I think if, uh, if we talk about your situation right now, and so I, I think you have to say like, are we dealing with someone who is healthy and training consistently or, yes. you know, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I think the main thing is, uh, you have to always say, what's the starting point right now? You know, we, we've clearly defined what point Z is, yeah. um, which is basically running a mile under five minutes. So the question is, what's the starting point? You know, so I, I would want to know, hey, have you ever attempted, uh, what was your last mile time? How close were they? Then I would take them through some physical performance tests um, to make sure that they have the tissue capacity to be able to withstand the forces that they're going to have to uh, have to to deal with to do that. Yeah. Um, and then I would really start to zoom in on their training intensity distribution. Um, and I think that if if the goal is to break five, you don't need to go out and do a ton of long runs. Right. Uh, I think that creates a strike against you more than anything. So. Um, and I think you could do it on with running uh, a few days a week. Um, but I, I think you always have to reverse engineer what you're trying to do, you know, so figure out the starting point, which people don't take the time to do. And, yeah. uh, and then from there, start to slowly nudge, making sure that you don't put in any overzealous sessions. Right. Um, so, uh, and I also don't think that you need to, uh, to really approach five minutes. I think that if you know that things are on the line and you have a friend or a group of people um, who are coming to support you, you're going to show up and get it done. Your best yeah. performances should always come when it's on the line, not, <laughs> not, not during a training session. Right. Uh, so, but yeah, I, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say if they bring back races, once track races come back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think they will. But yeah, so I think, uh, I think a lot of people need to, um, to, to break up their, uh, their run sessions that are going to be a little bit more intense and just sort of build that up from the bottom, you know? So it's always helpful when you're discussing a situation like this, if you have a specific runner, yeah. Um, but you know, with people that I work with, especially if, um, if they start having, you know, a performance bias, um, and they may have started off just as like a recreational age grouper, and then they start getting hungry and they start having uh, some success. I'm just trying to slowly push that up from the bottom. So if someone has been doing distance running and they've never um, layered in strides, I may get someone to start doing some strides, 15 to 30 seconds, right. um, maybe, maybe working that up to uh, one minute efforts, uh, two minute efforts, three minute efforts. Uh, I think that layering in some hill work, you know, the challenge that the thing that would fall by the wayside for you in Florida is you need to find bleachers. You need to find something in the way of stairs or hills. Yeah. Um, and this is where treadmills can, can come in handy. Cause I work with some athletes, um, in, in Florida and, um, in, yeah, that's places like Florida, Texas, the Midwest where it's flat. flat. That's where yeah. a treadmill comes in. Um, because that teaches, well, I think the beauty of it is it really helps to, to challenge the calf muscle complex and the soleus in particular, because if yeah. you're running uphill, you're generally running with a slightly more uh, flex knee. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I think that there's a few sort of pillars to, uh, to consider when you're having someone, uh, having someone try to break a mile. Yeah. Five minute mile. What, um, at the beginning you had said you would, like first up, you got to know where they're at, where are they coming from? What have they done before? And then you had mentioned that you would put them through, did you say physical performance tests or mm -hmm. um, I believe is what you said. Correct. Yeah. What would that look like or what would you be looking mainly for there? Uh, so, uh, you know, there are physical performance tests and benchmarks that I'm looking for from a rehab sense and then from more of a performance sense. Um, so, you know, if I have, uh, you know, someone who has a performance bias um, and who's looking to pull off a sub five minute mile, I want to know that they can. And this is stuff that I'm biting off of Dan John. Um, I want someone to be able to squat their body weight. I want them to be able to deadlift one to one and a half times their body weight. Uh, I want to see them broad jump their height. Um, I want to see them um, basically do pogo jumps um, going two legs to one. Yeah. I want to look at their calf capacity. Um, so it's just like, does this athlete have comprehensive capacity um, to, to be able to pull it off? Yeah. Uh, so. No, those are, those are good. Um, the, 
the starting points and um and dan john too i need to look at his stuff again i know i've looked at some of his stuff yeah he's on the past just keeps it simple he just keeps it simple <laughs> simple but effective awesome so so obviously there's the like the direct science in what you would need to 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 achieve that do you feel like from the like mental side of things like you know what would need to be achieved there or what would need to be achieved in practice or where would that come in to breaking five i would have one question right off the bat do you think you can break five yeah if you don't if you do yeah if you do i think you can you know uh, if you don't i have to sort of try to unpack what's getting in the way of you believing in yourself and that's something that maybe is outside of my wheelhouse right Um, but, you know, belief systems, I learned this a lot. I mean, you look at a sport like tennis, you just go on these momentum roller coasters. And, um, you know, so I think, you know, having the mental fortitude to, to be able to pull off something like that. So do you think that you can break five? <laughs> Turn the rope. Okay. Yeah, no, honestly. So I've actually had this conversation a couple times on this podcast since I did start it. I am not at the point where I do believe it yet. Um, be a hundred percent honest. Yeah. I've like been pretty, and right now too, has been weird. Like, I don't even feel like I've just been focused on getting rehab, but even taking it back to when I was training healthy and, um, before I had moved, cause that kind of threw some stuff in the, in the wrench too. But I was like, I believe I can go under five ten. Like I can be in the five to five ten, but my mind doesn't believe I can go under five yet. <laughs> and I, and then I would, that starts to, you know, allow the conversation to unfold, you know, what would help you give the, have the confidence to be able to do this? What do you feel is getting in the way? Back when I was even like training and I was in my, you know, peak shape for lately, um, probably two things. One is I realized, so I did a track season this, um, past winter and I was having like, when I was in college, I wasn't the strongest racer, like mentally. I just wasn't strong mentally. And after college, I felt like I got better at that in different races, not in the mile, but I was kind of like having this, like the same thought patterns and the way my body responded to racing kind of came back. Mm-hmm. Does that even make sense? Like I was responding the same way I did in college, even though I thought I had gotten over that. Um, so one there, like my mind just not like being confident in the races. And then also I think, um, having a good race where I was even, you know, I ran like say a five fifteen or something would help too. just, I, cause I didn't even get down to that point in the, in the season. Um, just to be like, okay, my fitness is here. Like I definitely believe my fitness was in the five twenties, um, range this past season. Um, so like those two things would help. Yeah. And I think that, you know, maybe it's a situation where you have to put yourself in a race environment and start to just get acquainted uh, yeah. or more familiarized with how you handle that and then start to figure out how to ritualize it. So you're managing your energy and then top it off with some caffeine, you know, <laughs> that'll, if you're around a five ten, you know, and, and you know, it's on the line and uh, yeah, you have a big cup of coffee, uh, <laughs> two to three it. milligrams per kg body weight. Yeah. 45 minutes beforehand, that would do it. You think, so you would, you would bring, is that something you would bring into the equation too? You'd, um, use a little bit of caffeine. Oh, hell yeah. 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 I mean, these are the, uh, the things that, you know, everyone's trying to find ways to enhance performance. I mean, yeah. Caffeine and sports beverage, you know, sports beverage would have less, uh, less of a role with a, a one mile event, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there are some things and, and I would get you at the track. Um, I, I would have some focused track sessions where you are getting accustomed to what it feels like when you're running at five and you're running faster right. than five minute uh, pace. Right. Um, so, and I think from a, you know, we were talking about sort of getting into some of the strength and conditioning principles you have to, I have no problem putting on some proximal thigh uh, mass with runners who would have a goal of a sub five minute mile. Um, you know, I think that's something that uh, I think people are very reluctant to put on any sort of weight or mass. Yeah. I think this is a, a situation where you would. You'd want it. Yeah. No, definitely any track season. I, my legs always got more, more toned for sure. <laughs> like yeah. in general, they just, they have to. <laughs> No, that's, that's good. I like the caffeine suggestion too. Cause it's not something like I necessarily like think of, like I'll do goose with caffeine during like a half marathon and stuff like that, but not necessarily for, um, a mile. So I like it. 
Yeah. I mean, for long course racing triathlon, it's really important um, just to sort of keep your central nervous system ramped up. Yeah. Uh, and also realizing, you know, the half-life of coffee, which is, you know, you'll hear, let's say around five to six hours. So just understanding how to dose it and rehearse it. So, you know, it's not creating, um, it's not going to create any pushback. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. That's, that's a good one. That's a new one. I hadn't like, I think I've used it like, on, like I have before races and workouts. I guess I have done that like noon tablets with caffeine and stuff, but um, being more deliberate about it and looking at the timing and everything too. Oh, I like it. Cool. Well, that's good advice. And kind of turned it on me for a second. I'm like, Hey, do you believe it? I'm like, no, I actually don't. Yeah. I'm not there. Well, this is coaching, you know, and that's something that coaching is uh, such a tricky thing to define. Um, you know, and my friend Joel Sackgas and I, we, we talk to each other ad nauseum about this stuff, but um, you know, there's a quote that he always talks about and coaching is regulated improvisation, you know? So um but I, I think that how you engage and sort of put it back on the athlete, and these are a lot of motivational interviewing concepts, but yeah. there's a way to dance in that conversation. All right. And, and that's something that requires tremendous patience um, and just listening to the athlete and um, really trying to uncover their thoughts and beliefs and ideas um, because it's our beliefs that get in the way of so many things. Um, right. I worked with a sports psychologist when I was playing tennis and um, I worked with him for geez, maybe an eight to 12 week period where I was competing a lot and I never lost a single match and I was beating people that I probably shouldn't have been beating. And he, he was just, our, our initial consultation was about six to seven hours. I'll never, never forget it. We had literally a whiteboard that was the length of uh, a wall and we just went through all the thoughts that sort of run through my mind when I was playing tennis yeah. So it was, it was the most eye opening experience. And, um, oh, that's awesome. Now that's something I've, you know, thought could be beneficial too, is, you know, just working with a sports psychologist. Cause I've never done it in general anyways, just for like to see how it is too. So have you ever, so have you ever worked with a coach uh, during this process of trying to get your ducks in a row to, to break a five minute mile? Yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm working with a coach and, um, and then I also was, um, I went, I was training with a, a local um, track team as well. Um, because I feel like there's no way I can do those workouts on my own. So, so that was really helpful too, but, but yeah, well, so kind of off of that right now, but getting back to that. Um, so the biggest thing will probably be getting my, getting my heel rehab fully. And then, um, and like you were saying, like making sure they have like the strength in all areas. And for me, I do know my calves are in something that, aren't necessarily the strongest and probably something I need to put a little bit more focus on than I do a little bit more intentionally too. So what sounds like you're, uh, you're barking up the right tree. Yeah. <laughs> going yeah, in the right I, direction. And I think as you go through this recovery process, um, you know, just keeping in mind another acronym that you probably heard me say on the runner zone is FDI frequency, duration, intensity. Um, and I think just, uh, it's, it's comforting to hear that, you're, you're of the thought right now. Like I need to rehab this to get back to consistent training. Yeah. Because, you know, if people try and put in these, uh, you know, heroic or overzealous efforts, that's when they get into trouble, you know, and it's just brick by brick. One brick right. is no bigger, or smaller than the next, put a row down, let the, the grout or the mortar settle and, uh, and then put down another yep. row of bricks, you know, and pretty soon you have, you'll have a fortress. Yep. Yep. Just, yeah, no, I've been injured enough before, which I feel like plays into it that I'm just like, just be patient. Yeah. Small steps get there, (laughs) but awesome. Anything else you would like to add about, um, well, let's go this route too. I guess we talked specifically about breaking five, but in general, what do you think is the difference between the athletes you coach, um, or that you've seen who meet their goals and who don't meet their goals? Uh, they prioritize it straight up. You yeah. know, it, the people who I work with that communicate with me, if I send them a message, I expect a message back yeah. um, within a few hours. Okay. Um, and it's always amazing. The the folks who are the busiest professionals and have the most <laughs> on their plate always seem to get this done. And yeah. um, the ones who sort of flounder in their communication, uh, that's just giving you a lens into their ecosystem. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I, I think that these folks have s- struck a relative balance while also appreciating that the target's always moving. Um, but yeah, I, I learn a lot uh, from athletes in, in terms of their communication, follow-up and professionalism. And, yeah. you know, if you're using a platform like training peaks, if I see, if I showed you all of the athletes that I work with and, and you just saw basically a week and it was green, that person's going to go on to do great things. If you see like one green session, meaning that they completed it one orange where they didn't get through it or it was missed um, or they're not leaving comments they're, they're doing, they're doing the hard work, you know, and they're reflecting on the workout, you know, so if someone does a workout rather than just leave, if it's a a recovery session, I don't expect to see much in the way of comments, but (laughs) if I give them a challenging session, I don't see any comments. I'm like, that's weird. You know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's amazing how much you learn about athletes from just how they upload their workouts. Just how they, yeah. Yeah. And if you email them their follow up, you know, um, if I call them, are they picking up the phone? Yeah. No, that's helpful. So prior prioritization is the key. And then just, I mean, from what you're saying, I feel like it's consistency. They're showing up and, um, obviously completing the workouts and commenting on reflecting on it too, not just doing it and moving on. Yeah. Without, you know, basically getting so wrapped up or preoccupied with it. Um, you know, there's a, there's an amazing book that I think you would enjoy reading. Uh, it had a profound impact on me and especially at the time when I read it called the power of full engagement. And it's by Jim Lair and Tony Schwartz. And uh, they got their start working with a lot of tennis players back in the day. And, uh, but there is just, there's so many uh, invaluable lessons and pearls in that book. So what was the name of it again? The power of full engagement. Power of full engagement. I love it. I've gotten some book recommendations from these podcast interviews too. So it's always, it's always good to get some more, more suggestions. (laughs) And I think sometimes it's helpful to, I think good coaches challenge their athletes, not in a, not in a demeaning or derogatory way, but you know, sometimes I've had to, you know, get on the phone with athletes and say, Hey, uh, I wanted to just check in. I, I get the sense that training's not really important for you right now. It's not saying, Hey, why the hell aren't you doing this? It's saying, Hey, this is what I'm sort of sensing, you know, right. and I just want to bounce it off you and get your thoughts. And they're like, well, it's a juggling act right now. We're in the pandemic. I'm working from home. There's distractions. I'm like, I get it. And then you can start trying to formulate a plan. Right. So, you know, it's just trying to basically bring about behavior change. Right. Right. Kind of all, all comes down to that. So much does (laughs) going off of that topic really quick, if you don't mind, um, what would you say to, well, two thoughts, what would you say for a runner who is just getting to running, getting back to running, whatever, any runner, what is like the one thing, the biggest thing that, they should consider to, to make sure that they're not make sure that's not the right word um, to do the best that they can to have a healthy experience with running, you know, get injured as at least as possible. Don't like to say like injury free, that isn't necessarily always um, possible. Well, it's the best thing that, you know, a runner can do overall. So, so I would say go back to the FDI frequency, duration, intensity. Don't rush the process. These tissues take time to adapt um, and you need to get into a rhythm with your training first. And, uh, the one thing that I posted about this yesterday, um, I never, and I very rarely use the terms never and always, yeah. um, this is an instance. I never go out for a run without first walking for 10 minutes to warm up and to do a five minute walking cool down. And if that pulls away from the running duration, yeah. uh, so be it. Yeah. You know, this, uh, this fellow had, uh, reached out to me yesterday after I posted this, uh, image on my Instagram storyline. And, uh, and he's like, what do you do if you just don't have time? I'm like, well, it's just not important to you. You know? And he's like, well, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's just not important to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, and I have a few runners who are, who are Olympic caliber runners that I work with. And I tell them that I will stop coaching you. If I see that 10 minute walking warm up skipped, <laughs> you know, because you're going to rush through that session and it, why even do the session at that point? Right. Um, and, and I think trying to just take a hard line on that and, uh, and outside of, outside of that, um, I think that, you know, incorporating some simple, uh, strength and drill work, 
right. um, does wonders. And this is no mystery. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned the concept of exploration, exploitation, the stuff that I'm going to give runners, a calf specific exercise, yep. a quad specific exercise, and basically a hip specific exercise, you know, so that could be calf raises that could be, you know, a goblet squat, a rear foot elevated split squat, a back squat, um, a deadlift, a, a side plank, a toe tap. Um, th- this stuff is not a mystery. You know, it's just a matter of figuring out how to have it interface with your running where it's not going to leave you under recovered. And, you know, how do you manipulate these exercise parameters over the course of, um, you know, a training block? But yeah. yeah, I think the most important thing is consistency of training. That's what all the best athletes prioritize. And that's what allows them. I mean, I think in my own situation, I had my, my best race last year um, coming off of two shoulder surgeries. And it was basically the culmination of 12 years of training, probably 400 plus sessions a year. Right. But all of those are pretty measured. And I think with, with triathletes, you can push intensity a little bit more on the bike. But I think with runners, you have to be, you have to be pretty calculated with how you're layering in intensity. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I mean, like two of the things you mentioned there, and I think they're, I mean, they're simple things, but they're two of the biggest things I feel like I pick up from you or one doing walk, you know, sessions before and after your runs. Um, that's, you know, something that you just get impatient. You're like, ah, I'm good. I don't need to do that. Right. But I'll tell you like this walk run program that I'm on my return now has made me appreciate walk. I like warming up with a walk. It's, it's nice. <laughs> um, and then the second thing in it, you know, simple. And I was saying this even before I got injured, I was like, I need to start strengthening my calves more than I do. Like I do it. And like, um, it's just like the simplest things, obviously you need to do that as a runner, right? Like it's, you know, seems, seems obvious, but it's not always, um, the norm, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't focus enough on my calves when I uh, when I was early on in my running career, and uh, it, it's interesting. I someone just reached out to me as a pro triathlete, and um, I got some footage of her running, and she's coming off of a bone stress injury, and she just has no explosiveness or power uh, yeah. when she runs. And and when I watch that, I say, oh, this is this is a woman who is a swim specialist, and like, hey, tell me about your background. She's like, well, I was a D one swimmer. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I bet awesome. you were. Yeah, yeah, and you start seeing these patterns. Patterns, um, yeah. It have been seeing you all along and then you finally start piecing it together where she's sort of like not shuffling, but there's just there's not this explosiveness. And she's a young athlete. She should have a little bit more pop with her running. Right. Um, and and it could be as easy as like, hey, let's do some focused calf work. And I think sometimes it can be that easy. Yeah. And um is it sexy? No. You know, but it's <laughs> no. uh I'm always amazed when I have people go through calf, uh, calf tests and I just have basically someone put, you know, the non-test leg up on a, a stool or a platform and I want them to just rhythmically go up and down same amplitude or height with each one, no loss of rhythm, no rolling to the outside of your foot. Very rarely can someone get past 15. Yeah. Even, even certain competitive athletes. Yeah. Um, and then they start to do some focal loading and you start seeing their run times uh, start to go down. So, yeah, no, that's yeah. awesome. I and I, the one other thing too, that when we had Dan John on our podcast, um, I think you were asking about, you know, advice for runners who are, you know, trying to just get into a routine and enjoy consistent training. Yeah. He, I love the way that he phrases. He said, you have to always be cognizant of the lees. And the lees are, are you dealing with a running issue or are you dealing with, you know, f- so the lees are financially, emotionally, psych- psychologically, um, you know, these are the things that you have to understand because those are, those are important to address. Yeah. Because with, with certain people who are trying to qualify for the Olympics, I mean, there may, right. it may be the financial piece because they're having to make so many concessions because running is so important to them where, right. you know, that's where sponsors can really come in and have a huge impact on that runner's uh, career. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, that's such as, as you know, as a coach, like it's, it's not just the training, it's everything else too, that, you know, is important to how an athlete is going to do. <laughs> Yeah, I have I to look of, at it in my own life too, for my own training, you know? 
I mean, so I think of your situation, look, you relocated yep. you know, to a different state during, I think you're in the midst of a pandemic, yep. you're having to basically develop a, a different social network. You're trying to basically yep. do the entrepreneurial thing, you know, stress equals stress equals stress. Yep. You know? And that's, I, I, if I had a penny for every time I said that to an athlete, I'd be rich. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. It's important to, to just have some self-honesty around that stuff. Yeah. No. And I knew that too. I was like, not even surprised. I'm like, it totally has to do with stress in all my life. It was just like, yeah, I moved business. Um, my training was actually at the, like the lowest mileage it had been like, that's, you know, it wasn't even, but it was a little inconsistent too, with me trying to get used to the heat. I wasn't like completing my full workouts because I was like dying and anyways. So, um, but yeah, like it had a lot to do more with life stressors, I feel like. So awesome. Well, and then on the other side of the question that I just asked, what would you say to any PT who wants to work with runners? Since I know you are a mentor to a lot of, a lot of PTs, a lot of professionals who work with runners. If there's someone that wants to work with runners, like what is, you know, what would you say to them? You have to immerse yourself in the, in that community. And yeah. you also need to, um, if you can find a mentor um, and just go and, and just hang with them as much as you can. Um, you know, so you obviously know Nathan Carlson. Yep. So Nathan reached out to me, um, geez, maybe four, let's see, maybe about four or five years ago. And, uh, and he's like, I just, I'd love to have, uh, have you give me some insight and walk me through your presentations. And he's, he's world-class now. Yeah. He's, he's going to take this and, and push the needle that much further. Um, so I think that you have to just say, I don't have the answers in uh, here. My, you know, to be again, self-honest with what are, what are the weaknesses? What are the things that I need to do things up? And right. I think you need to really hone in on your clinical reasoning and master your craft of rehab. Um, yeah. And that takes time. That takes staying on top of the literature. It takes getting reps under your belt in the clinic. And, but I think the ultimate goal is to eventually try and understand the injury to performance spectrum, because you'll be in a great position to help troubleshoot and triage and um, figure out what a runner's needs are. But um, I, I think that it's really important to sort of marry, uh, marry what you're reading in the literature with how it pans out uh, in, in the clinical, uh, in the, in the clinical sense or in the clinical realm. Um, so, and just be prepared. You're going to make mistakes. Uh, hopefully you don't harm anyone. Um, <laughs> you're, you're going to miss things and yeah. that's okay. That's all part of the process. Yep. Um, and, and just really, I think the more you can talk and be present with these athletes, you'll start to see these patterns that emerge, you know? Right. So, yeah, and that, that was the impetus for the runner zone is to basically help people who were looking to take a deep dive and try to fast track them to the extent you can fast track that process. Um, but I thought I had everything figured out when I was like a few years out from school because I went to a great program and, um, and then I was up at this, you know, world renowned institute in New York City. And uh, I was so naive. You know? <laughs> and, and then I, I was 10 years out and then I'm like, oh, I, you know. I feel like I haven't figured it out now. I'm like, geez, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Um, but I know how to talk to people. I know how to right. load them and I know how to progress them. Yep. And as a, uh, a runner and triathlete, I, I feel like I have a good handle on a lot of the struggles and challenges that they face. Yeah. So that, that helps from an alliance standpoint. Yeah. So. But I think it's good. You have to know, like, you're not going to know all the answers, you know, um, but you have to start. If you don't start, you're not going to get to all the answers. And, uh, yeah, I think that's one of my, was one of my biggest struggles as a new grad, at least. I was like, felt like I didn't know anything. And I didn't, but I still had to keep going to, to figure out more of the answers instead of just being a deer in the headlights. <laughs> yeah. And, and to follow, there's a, we live in, in this day and age where you have people who are just pumping out such quality content. Um, you know, it's frightening. So pick a handful of people who may have opposing views. You know, you could pick uh Someone like Irene Davis, you know, Tom Goom, Rich Willie, Izzy Moore, um, Jay DeSherry, Brian Heiderscheidt. Um, you know, there's so many, there's so many brilliant people out there and in just look at what they agree on, where the disagreements are yeah. and then start to formulate your own thoughts. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think that's important too. Like there's, yeah, not, not even everyone agrees on things. So you have to create your own, your, your own opinions and what, you know, as you go along and, and from who you, from who you learn from and everything too. So. Yeah. And I think you look for the common denominators, like what do these people agree on? You know, because yeah. that's probably if, if we do a good job focusing or addressing those factors, um, good things are likely to happen. Yeah. No, I love it. Well, anything that you want to say on anything that we let hanging on, you know, the breaking five, um, on working with runners on any, any of all that, anything uh, we let hang I, I mean, we could talk forever. I'm just like, well, shoot, I feel like I, I, I hit the surface, but I have so, so many more questions, but <laughs> yeah, I think it, when you're, when you're just in the trenches with runners, um, you know, a lot of the theoretical models and concepts or frameworks, they just all fall to pot, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that to respect the fact that the target's always moving, that research comes with an, a date and um, that we just have to keep refining, uh, refining how we, how we manage uh, this group of athletes. But I think for clinicians, you know, you probably have a decent reach uh, with clinicians. Your goal is to get to a point where you're, taking a runner who's coming in uh, with an injury or they're dealing with a pain that's interfering with their running. And your goal is to turn injuries into PRs or personal records or best. Right. And I think when you start to do that, that you're on to something. Yeah. Um, you know, my goal is getting someone back to consistent, healthy running. Yeah. There are challenges, especially in certain cases like bone stress injuries um, just because they're so multifactorial, but um we should be leaving these people not just sort of like back to training loosely. Like right. they should be back running better than they ever have. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that we, we need to, to really just elevate the standard of care in, in our work with runners. Yeah. Um, so, and I think we're, you know, we're on the ride right now. Yeah, no. And I think it's, I don't know. It's really awesome. All you've done to, to bring that community together and really start to progress it forward for what runners need um, from a rehab standpoint. Cause there's, I feel like it's not, it's, it is out there now and luckily it is, but like as being a runner and being in even the rehab space myself in the past seeing that I'm like, yeah, I didn't get the care I needed. I went to multiple PT and, you know, PTs and like, I didn't necessarily get anywhere, you know, and, but I didn't know what we know now or what I wasn't following the right stuff maybe. And, um, just really appreciate all you're doing. And like, it's just, it's, it's so needed and it's, it's fun to see out there too. Um, makes me more hopeful about my career too. Cause there's definitely a time where I was like, well, what are we doing? We're just like, what, like, this is what I went to school for. Like, I thought I was, yeah, <laughs> I thought I was actually going to be helping people and get them back. But now we're just rubbing their calves and calling it good. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There's some, some strange stuff that is done to runners and uh, that is communicated to runners. Um, I saw a woman last night and I won't go into too much detail, but um, you know, she was told that she had lumbosacral dysfunction and that's what was driving her, her heel pain. I'm like, no, you're shearing your heel every time you go to put on your shoe because it's laced too tight and you have a shoe with the heel counter. That's not appropriate for you. <laughs> like, let's not, <laughs> let's not complicate things here, please. And, and also stop stretching because you know, she was doing some stretching. that's just tugging on a region that was sensitized. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's, it's easy to sound fancy and use, you know, these, these ridiculous explanations. Um, but most of the time it's picking the low hanging fruit and, yeah. uh, you know, and that's, that's, what's going to drive meaningful change. Yeah. No, I love it. All right. So I end every podcast by asking my guests um, about their breaking five moment. So do you have a breaking five moment um, in sport or if not, do you have an athlete with a breaking five moment? She doesn't have uh, to be breaking five itself. Just like what was something either like just, it was a really lofty goal, something you were working really hard towards for a while, anything like that. Well, a couple things. And, um, and what I'll also do is uh, at some point I'll, I'll record a, uh, a video of breaking five and hopefully okay. it inspires you. Yeah. My treadmill only goes up to 12 miles per hour, my in-home treadmill. Okay. Uh, but I will, I need to either figure out along Lake Washington Boulevard 
or yeah. I'll put the treadmill at uh, <laughs> 2% or 1.5% um, just to make sure it's, uh, it, it comes slightly under five. But no, I, I would say my, my breaking five moment, um, I had one in tennis, uh, but I would say the main one was um, the first time I qualified for Kona at Ironman Coeur d'Alene okay. and um, as well as last year when I came back from, um, from these two shoulder surgeries and, um, and went second at Ironman Canada because um, <laughs> I'm in a stacked age group. I mean, and, and I have different challenges and I'm sure all these, these athletes do, but um, where, you know, I, I just, I had a, a great race and um, but I was at a good point in life and my friend, my friend beat me. Um, but he, uh, you know, he came in first and, and I came in second. We were racing against some people who were really strong. Um, but I ran a, uh, I think a 311 off the bike. And that was without getting too graphic. I was just like, my groin was just like, so, so irritated in terms of the skin because, you know, you're drinking sports beverages, you know, you're in basically not the most comfortable clothing. Um, and I felt like I could have gone sub 305 that day. And, um, you know, but yeah, that, that was a breakout performance and, and it was fun because my family was there and I always say, make it a family affair, you know, yeah. get people involved because you're going to show up. Um, but my, what my ultimate goal is to qualify for Kona and Boston in the same race, you know, so okay. and I, I just missed it. So that's like, oh. that's my breaking five okay. goal right now. So you haven't got there yet. So that's your goal right now. Yeah. I, I am definitely capable of cracking three hours. Um, Canada is a tough course because the, the bike had over 8,000 feet of climbing. Um, and then you're having to run a marathon off the back end on a relatively challenging course. So, um, so yeah, I'll pick a race and I want to qualify for Kona and run a, a sub three hour marathon. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And that, and then I'll retire and drink. And then beer. you'll be done. Yeah. Just to, to, to make sure I'm hearing this right, in the middle of an Ironman, you want to break three hours, right? Yeah, so okay. three hour, sub-three-hour marathon off the bike, and, uh, and it's been written, so it, it needs to happen. Um, and, uh, but I, I would say that the impetus for that is having the worst race of my life in Kona this past year. Okay. And, uh, and I think that it's these are the things that motivate us as athletes. You yeah. know, when we have these abysmal blowups or failures, yeah. um, it, because you look at, you have to look at that situation and say, what happened? And I was basically spread, I've spread myself thin. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I just got my ass handed to me on a, on, on a plate. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we live and learn though. It's yeah. uh, you have to look at the collective body of work as they say. Yeah. I've had some of my best races. I think all my best races have been after my worst races for sure. I just get pissed off and that's what I got to do for, I guess, breaking five. I don't know. (laughs) I just get pissed off and then I do, do all right. Yeah. Well, are you going to share when your next attempt will be or? Oh yeah. I'll go back to Coeur d'Alene. I signed up for Coeur d'Alene. Ironman talk about amazing marketing. I know that uh, we have some mutual friends who, uh, you know, influenced our thoughts on that, but um (laughs) Yeah. So they said, Hey, we have a hundred spots left. I'm like, Oh no, I need to register. So <laughs> I'll go back. And I, I qualified there in 2013, right after making a cross country move. Um, which is why that was uh, sort of a big deal. And, um, and I had out kicked a guy like literally in the final stretch of the race. Oh and, uh, yeah. Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. You'd never, you never know how close it's going to be, but, um, yeah. so I am signed up for, um, Ironman Canada. And then I deferred, we were supposed to race Iron, um, well, Ironman Coeur d'Alene in late June and then Ironman Canada in, um, in late August. It was supposed to take place this past August, but because of COVID and I don't even know if it would have happened with the smoke, they may have had to cancel it anyway, oh, yeah. but because of all the fires out here, but yeah, so I, uh, I'll put it on the line again and, uh, yes. I'm hungry and training training is, uh, already underway. It's going well. <laughs> yes. Right now it's just, I I'll focus on, um, not doing a ton of volume, keeping, uh, keeping consistent with swim, bike and run yeah. and, uh, lifting, 
right now it's front and center lifting. People are like, yeah. how are you, how are you dealing with the pandemic? La la la. I'm like, Oh, I'm lifting. Getting stronger. <laughs> yeah. Now's a time where, you know, it's not, it doesn't need to compete with the other disciplines. Right. So. No, that's awesome. I love it. Oh, okay, cool. Well, that's fun to know. And that sounds crazy, but, um, I mean, just running a three, three hour marathon sounds amazing. So we'll be cheering you on and, um, it'd be fun to know that that's what you're training for now while I watch your, watch your Instagram videos on your bike and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's boring. I'll, uh, I'll leave it at that, but you know, you, you have to just revel in the process and, uh, you know, without, I don't, I hate to glorify the, the grind, um, of training. Um, it's just checking boxes, not attaching that much emotion to it and uh, yeah. putting yourself in the position and letting race day unfold. Yeah. Uh, good or bad. And uh, yeah. So yeah, no, I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that, that goal with us. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, Chris, any other words before, and I'll wrap it up too, but anything else that you'd like to say? <laughs> Be interested, be interesting, and be a resource. I love it. I love and it. I remember keep, you said that on cool. one one interview, I think, that I was listening to once, too. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, good good comes to those who, uh, who are just showing up every day and trying to be cool and be a resource. Yeah, no, I love it. Well, thank you for coming and sharing your knowledge on, on running on, um, you know, for clinicians on everything. I know, like I said, I feel like we could deep dive even into any of those topics even more. Um, but for anyone listening, like, I just want to make sure that you guys know where to find Chris, if you're not following him already. Um, like I said, on Instagram at, um, Zarin PT, he puts out a ton of resources. A lot of people know him through that. Um, but also if you're not a part of his runner zone, that is where I really started to learn about a lot of things. And like even bone stress injuries, that was a big thing for me that I felt like I did not have a grasp on, um, from any courses I've taken or any, um, any from my knowledge in PT school at all, definitely think I had a bone stress injury when I was younger and didn't even know it, um, learned that through being in the runner zone. So that's a group that Chris, um, has, uh, has started up and it's a very active group, um, and then also Chris has a ton of courses out there for um, clinicians. And I think other than clinicians, do some runners take it too? I mean, depending, depending on which ones they are. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we try to, to just anyone who has a, a keen interest in running, who really wants to take a deep dive. I mean, obviously we get into some clinical stuff with the bones, tendons, weights, and whistles course. Yeah. Um, but you know, even if you have a, if you're a runner with a technical mind, um, I think that, you know, there's just so much to, to be gained from it. Um, yeah. So. so yeah, one of his courses, which I still need to take, when is the next one? Well, I'll tell you first. So it's the bones, tendon, weights, and whistles, um, course. When are you offering that again? I know you have started to do them online, correct? Obviously, yeah, we'll, we'll probably, we'll probably do the third round, um, in early 2021. Okay. Uh, but we also, um, I'm working with Nathan Carlson and we're going to put out a master course that we haven't even really talked about yet, but, um, <laughs> that's called system of a run. And, okay. uh, yeah. And that's going to drop and we're going to drop it hot. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's going to be like everything that we want someone to know if they're going to, you know, work towards the, developing specialization and working with runners. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. From treadmill analysis to resistance training to motivational interviewing to bone stress injuries to tendon to clinical examination, reasoning, um, yeah. orthopedic examination, the primary exercises and drills, like everything. Everything. Yeah. So basically um, everything you've been teaching, but kind of like put it all in one and like, what do you need to know to yeah and it's all it's all done right now. Um there will be awesome. a couple modules that we add. Um after the fact, but it, you know, the, the meat and potatoes is all there and it's, uh, it's just, we just have to record it and put it up. That's awesome. I'm always impressed with how much you've, especially during this pandemic, you've come out with, you've done that, like the cinder block series, just like all this stuff. So, um, yeah, I got to get it out before I kick the bucket. You know, <laughs> oh, that's, that's the goal. That's the motivation here. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, I, I, there's so much that, in some of it's a little bit more technical in nature, but I, this stuff has to get to the running masses yeah. uh, or the running community at large. And it, it would be remiss of me not to, to be busting my tail. And that's the thing that competes with training. It's like, yeah. you know, trying to juggle all of this stuff, but it forces you to be really calculated with, you know, how you're allocating your time and energy. 
yeah yeah you gotta be yeah more productive and yeah be yeah with your time and energy and everything Um, without getting burnt out you know it's all it's too it's all too easy to get burnt out too so yeah I had a period where I think that happened, but I'm, I'm good, yeah. <laughs> but it's easy. Um, but yes. And he has other courses as, as well. Like every, every quarter, there's a different course, like um, bone stress injuries, uh, coaching cohort. Um, I know you guys do a number of things there. So definitely if you're, you're not familiar, make sure to check out um, everything he has going on as well as your podcast runner zone. Correct. Yeah. And that's been so much fun. And, uh, we've just been spoiled with the, the guests who have come on. So, um, the, we just had Leisha Morelli, who's a childhood friend who wrote the book. I am darn tough, which is awesome. Uh, awesome children's book really for anyone, but, um, and then we'll have Amelia Boone, um, yeah, who's one that. of the most decorated obstacle course racers and just gritty athletes in the world. Yeah. Um, so that'll come out on Friday. So it's fun just to have chats like we're doing. Um, right. Right. Yeah these podcasts are just so uh, fascinating and, and fun to do. Right. No, I agree. So. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. I uh, really appreciate all your knowledge, all your wisdom and yeah, for taking the time out of your day to, to come on here. <laughs> of course. Thanks for having me on and keep doing your thing. Thank you. All yeah. right. Till next time. Bye guys. <laughs> Take care. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Breaking Five, a running podcast. We hope you are running away with some inspiration, tips, and actionable items that you can put towards your Breaking Five moment. Lastly, if you know anyone else with a Breaking Five moment, that doesn't have to actually mean literally Breaking Five, just a Breaking Five moment in general, in running, in life, or anyone else who has great knowledge and background in helping others reach their Breaking Five moment, I would love for you to put me in contact with them. We would love to have them on the show. So if you could and let them know, if you know of someone else, tell them to reach out to me at my Instagram, and that is at Kristen underscore run your life. Again, that's at Kristen underscore run your life. And could you do me a favor? And if you enjoyed today's episode and can think of anyone else who could benefit from listening to it, could you go ahead and share this out on your social media or share this directly with them? That would mean the world to me, seriously. And make sure if you have not already, to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so that you get our weekly updates as we drop the next episodes. Thank you, everyone. We seriously appreciate you tuning in today. We'll see you next time. And until then, go run your life.